0: James chapter 1. All right, now, Rogation Sunday is a time in which April 25th is the ma- major Rogation Sunday, and then now there's three days before Ascension. And Rogation is to lift up the hands. And the idea is that we take a time, particularly in the spring, and you need to remember and think of agricultural societies where the planting uh, uh, and then the harvest, the early harvest of, of grain and, and various vegetables and things were crucial to the well-being of, uh, of the people and of a nation. And so they set apart, according to the Lord's design the Old Testament times, to seek the Lord's face and to ask Him to reveal by His Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins. The idea being, if we could know our sins, we could turn from our sins and experience the cleansing and forgiveness of Jesus, which we uh, prayed, uh, we sung in Rock of Ages. The, the blood of Jesus would be for us the double cure, a freedom from the wrath that we deserve, and a capacity to make us pure. That's what we prayed about Topolity said so beautifully in the 1820s or 30s, I believe. So so this idea of rogation is we recognize God has created this universe to bless us when we do good in the general flow of the universe, and that there are curses and negative things that happen when we rebel against him. And so the idea is we want to get ahead of this thing. That's what the church is saying. Let's get ahead of this thing and let's ask the Lord to show us what are those sins that are hindering his grace and blessing in our lives. Let's ask the Lord and seek the Holy Spirit to show us those sins. Let's confess those sins, get right with God, and then God could bless us instead of punish, punish us as we would otherwise deserve. And so that's what rogation, so it means it's like the lifting up the hands, but it's a certain specific kind of prayer and lifting of the hands in seeking God for the conviction of sin that we might repent and be averted of the punishments and things that we deserve. All right? So that's a, a powerful thing. So this is the fifth Sunday after Easter and it's rogation. Now, part of then of, uh, of, of that is we find in James, uh, as well as in John 16. John 16 says that if we ask anything in Jesus' name, Jesus told us that the Father will do it uh, that that he would be glorified in his son as we ask in Jesus' name. He says, no longer you're going to be strangers, but now you're friends. You've got this access. Now, but in John 16 and John 17 and 14, uh, there's this extended prayer uh, and teaching. Jesus says there's two conditions. And the first condition, he says, if my word remains in you. So we have to know God's word, meaning there's no way that we're going to have our prayers answered if we're praying for things that God does not approve. That's why we pray in Jesus' name, according to his nature and character. So I can't say, you know, I'm a Redskin fan. I can't say when they're playing the Cowboys, oh, Lord, let the other quarterback get hurt. All right, that would not be appropriate. Mean, we, we, we can't ask and pray things and expect God to answer them if we're asking things outside of God's will and the character of Jesus Christ. We can't know God's will and character unless we know God's word. So we must know his word. And then the second thing is, Jesus says in that same passage in John, that we must not only um, uh, know his word, we must keep his word. Meaning we've got to be committed in obedience. Now, Jesus then says that our prayers that we ask, according to Jesus' word and his character, if we're obeying his word, that the prayers we pray are going to be answered by the Father. That's pretty exciting. What's the problem with that? Where's the weak spot? None of us are perfectly obedient to God's word. So how do we meet the requirement of obedience so that our prayers could be answered? How do we do that? We repent. We repent often, frequently, early, midday, and night. All right. The way we keep an obedience is when we see and the Holy Spirit convicts us, we say, Dear Lord Jesus, I'm sorry, and we repent of those things that are not pleasing to God. That's how we can stay in a place of obedience, even though we're not perfect. The blood of Jesus allows us to return uh, to the well of grace over and over and over again. And that's how we can then pray in Jesus' name, knowing that he will hear us and he will do what we ask. Now, there's an extended teaching then on James. Remember, most of the epistles are are uh, expansions of the teachings of the gospel. So they're taking ideas in the gospel, and they're expanding it, typically to a Gentile setting. But in this case, James was written to Jews. But nonetheless, here we go, as we see in James chapter 1, starting in verse 21. Now, we only read verse 22, but I'm going to add the flow here of verse 21. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness. Now, if you've got your Bible, you can see that. Whenever you see a therefore, you're supposed to ask, why is it there? Meaning, what's the therefore? Well, the therefore is this. James had told them in the beginning of chapter 1 to rejoice when they went through all kinds of trials, that God would allow even the difficulties of life to draw them in and to cause them to be dependent upon God, and they would actually be strengthened by God and blessed by God in and through difficulties that come in our lives. Now, there's some exceptions. One is some suffering and difficulty comes because we're reaping what we sow. I Meaning if I'm a bad husband and I spend all the money and I act rude to suit, I'm going to reap what? A bad relationship, right? If, if, if I don't pay my taxes, I'm, I'm going to go to jail or I'm going to get fined. It's not going to go up. So some suffering in life comes because we're following God and there are trials and difficulties that come, and God allows them because they will deepen our faith and relationship with God. Other things we bring upon ourselves. So we're not talking this morning about the things we bring upon ourselves. But then James says, here's the problem when you're going through trials. Sometimes people say, oh, life is so hard being a Christian, and God, he's putting these things in my way, and I need a little reward. God doesn't love me. He's not really good. He's making it hard for me. And so we justify our sins and giving into temptation because we justify it by the fact that life is hard. And therefore, the devil says, like he said to Eve, did God really say, you can't do this or you can't do that? So people give in to temptations because they, they sort of believe, because they're not staying in God's word, right? They're not repent. They believe that God really isn't good. So therefore, they take it into their own hands to find the peace and the comfort and the joy that they want in this life. But of course, it doesn't work apart from God. So he goes in that. Then he says, God is good. Every perfect gift comes from God. He'll never tempt you. He's not tempted by evil. He'll never tempt you. And then he goes on, and now he said, here's the remedy. If you want to deal with trials, if, if you want to uh, understand how to deal with temptation, uh, if you want to make sure that you can remain, understand that God is good, James is saying the antidote is to be staying in God's Word. So he says, but it's not just staying in God's Word. It's being aggressive, in a sense, meaning the way that we approach God's Word in preaching and teaching, the way you prepare yourself for a sermon, the way you read your Bible and study uh, with the intention to hear from God and then obey Him, uh, if we just stay passive, if we just hear, the Scriptures are not going to magically touch us apart from a willingness by us to receive from God the Holy Spirit in the hearing of the Word to change us and then to transform us as we apply ourselves to what the Bible says. Now, When I apply myself to what the Bible says, I can't do that perfectly. What do I do when I make mistakes and can't do it perfectly according to what the Bible says? I repent. That's what mature Christians do. Mature Christians aren't people who are never tempted or never sin. Mature Christians are people that when they sin and God shows them, they run to Jesus for more grace and forgiveness and mercy because of his blood. Okay? So therefore... James is saying your response to the goodness of God is that we are to lay aside all filthiness. Now, filthiness here uh, is the, the word in Greek comes connected with the idea of ulcers. And so the idea is, uh, imagine if you have ulcers and you're throwing up and you're having other problems the other way. That's the word picture for filthiness of the world. That's not a very pretty picture, is it? It's in the Bible, I'm sorry. That's what the word says in Greek, that's what it means. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness, and overflow of wickedness. And the idea here is that wickedness, imagine if your pipes or your sewer backed up. He's saying lay aside all these things because the the world and all these things that that, that you might give into because you're believing that God really doesn't love you, he's not for you, he's not there to help you because you're misunderstanding your trials and your difficulties. He's saying those things are really going to screw you up. Lay aside all the filthiness and all the overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The implanted word is the gospel and then all the teachings of the Bible. And the idea here is it's been implanted when you got saved, when you accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. But it's got to take root and, and, and begin to dominate all of your life. And that happens progressively from the first day we meet Jesus until we go home to be with him. All right, and so the word of God continues to nourish and to strengthen us along the way. All right, now, he says, approach it with meekness. Meekness is about strength being under control. It's about taking something powerful and to bring it into submission and obedience. To, say, uh, to be in submission is to choose out of respect for the other to yield to that other person or power or influence. You know, on the road, you have the yield sign. Yield means submit your will right away to the other that you may not get in a car wreck and get killed or cause a problem and get damaged, right? So you yield. You choose to voluntarily, with the yield sign, choose to let the other go first. The way you approach the text, and so the Bible, when it says that we're to approach the Word of God with all meekness, is that we are to come with an attitude, whether it be the preaching of God's Word, whether you're listening to sermons on the radio or on TV, whether you're reading your Bible, reading commentaries or studies, you're supposed to approach the Bible in the times you're going to hear the Bible taught with an eagerness and a submissive attitude, meaning... What is God going to speak to me today, and then how am I going to respond? You have to come into hearing the Bible and to reading the Bible with an expectation that God is going to speak to me by His Spirit in the Word, and I am going to respond both in repentance and commitment to do what the Bible says. Knowing that I can't even do it perfectly, but as I try and I ask God for help, I will grow in that. God will be pouring out by His Spirit. Meaning, did you know that one of the means of grace, the ways that God helps change your life, is through a committed, submitted attitude of reading the Bible and hearing the Bible taught. That's one of the primary means of which you're going to grow in this life in Christ. And you can't just come and sort of expect it to hit you. You've got to come in meekness, meaning with a submitted attitude. And the way you need to read your devotion is is like what Samuel said. He said, uh, uh, speak, Lord, your servant Listeneth, right? That's, I guess, King James or something, right? But, but Samuel came, right? He kept hearing, Samuel, Samuel. And he thought Eli was calling him. You know the story. And then Eli said, it's not me. And you're not making it up. So the next time you say, speak, Lord. Your servant listens. You've got to come and prepare yourself on Saturday night. You've got to prepare yourself. If you come in here drowsy and asleep, you won't be able to hear. And the enemy will easily distract you. If you don't focus every. Imaginable thing. You could be playing bingo in a sermon if you come with the wrong attitude to hear the sermon. Sorry, they tease me that I say the same things over. So my kids say they, they play uh, preacher Ron bingo and that they write down when I say the same things different times. They say I always say something about food. I always tease Father Don, etc., etc. So they kind of have a check mark thing. And so they sit there instead of growing. They sit there and check the marks. Kids today, I used to have dark hair. I'll just say it like that. All right. So, do you really do it? It's going to make the difference. You're going to find the Holy Spirit begin to change you and transform you as you come into sermons. As you, I like to listen to di- different people uh, on on the radio, but I guess now I really do it on uh, uh, streaming or whatever. But, but I mean, there's powerful people. There's devotion, but but how you give yourself to it. The, the attitude of submission to God and the hearing of his word with the intention to repent, to get right, to live, to obey. The Holy Spirit is going to pour out grace to change you. All right? That's what he's saying. Right, now, he repeats this theme in verse 22. Be doers of the word. Don't be passive. So there's that movie, what? Failure to launch. And the idea is that you've got these kids that go, oh Lord, they never get out of home and get a job. Whatever. Failure to launch. When I was praying this morning, I felt like Jesus was saying, uh, "This Christians who, who are not listening to the Word with the intention of obeying it, they're never going to launch. They're never going to launch. The way you launch is coming with that submitted attitude and the commitment to obey what God shows us. But be doers of the Word and not hearers only. Deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. What is he talking about? All right, well, let me explain to you like this. Yesterday, as a type of confession, I check every now and then Dairy Queen to find out what are the specials. It's always a bad idea to check. But, but yesterday, uh, I found, oh, there was two-for-one chili cheese dogs. Not the best idea, but of course, I had put off eating. We had a funeral yesterday, and so I put off eating. And by the time church was over for that funeral on my way home, I'm thinking, I need to eat now. And I saw that two-for-one chili dog special. Big mistake, by the way. Don't do it. If they give them away free, don't do it. But that's another story for another day. So I go to Dairy Queen. And I already had in my mind, well, two chili cheese dogs are good, but I really need at least three. All right. So and I end up buying four on the special. I'm sorry. All right. It, it was a mistake. I'm repenting. It was, I'll never do it again. As a matter of fact, I don't think I'm ever going to have a chili cheese dog at Dairy Queen ever again. But, but nonetheless, so I get in there and I eat my chili cheese dogs, but I, I mean, I brought them home. Now, that's, that takes a lot of restraint for me because typically... When I go to the drive-thru eating, I'm, I'm one to eat now, and I'm beginning to fries, but I mean, you know, I, I'm. but I had restraint because it's chili cheese dogs, and I don't want to spill it over myself because my kids make fun of me. All right? So I wait with all the restraint of earth and heaven. I wait, put them there in the bag, didn't open them up. I hold them not to drop them when I make the corner. and everything. I'm holding them up. I get home, get outside. I get my get them lined up, four of them, and I'm being real careful because my shelf collects food. And so if I don't, you know, I had to, so I'm eating over. I'm trying to be careful, and I get into the second one, and then the third one, I think it was, that got me. I think some chili cheese with the onion stuck, got stuck here in my, in my uh, beard because I was kind of leaning over, and, and as I was chewing, up I, I realized I felt something drop. Chili cheese all over the place. And I remember, I said, I got to change shirts. I got to look better. I'm going over to David's house later, uh, you know. So I made a mental note, but my mental capacity is weaker these days, and uh, I forgot. And so just as I'm getting to David's house later, I look as I'm, he's got like the little glass by the door, or whatever. I look, and I see or I see a reflection, uh, and I realize I never cleaned up the chili cheese dog all, all over my shirt. Now, luckily, it was just with a couple guys who don't really care. At least they were kind enough to say they don't really care. If Susie had seen me, she would have been horrified because it was chilly. I mean, it was bad. So, now, I say all that. Why I spend all that time? Well, here's the reason. Now you get the picture. He's saying, if we don't come with an attitude of really trying to understand God's Word and to hear it when it's preached, to study it, uh, to read, mark, inwardly digest if we don't come with more than a passive attitude, the scriptures is there to show us and to help us and transform us. And yet we could be there seeing what needs to change, seeing what God wants to do, seeing the invitation of grace, and we could miss it. Just like a person who would eat chili cheese dogs, spill all over himself, and forget to change your clothes. That's what he's saying. That's the, that's the picture he's giving us. And James saying, that's ridiculous. You would never do that, except for I did it. But you would never do that. I mean, you'd never want to go out in public realizing you accidentally got lipstick on your nose somehow or you didn't get your makeup right, or, or, or whatever. I mean, your hair is sticking out funny. You would never want to go out like that. And so he's using this image to say, but that's what we're doing. When we come to the, to, to, to the church and worship and the teaching of God's Word and Bible study, when we do that without an eager anticipation to hear from God and to grow and change, we're just like that. We are missing the opportunity of grace to be transformed. That's the thing. So, 25, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty. I mean, the scripture is there because if we'll approach it right, grace will be given to us in the desire to hear and receive it and do it. The Holy Spirit will help us and transform us. We will be renewed. We will be transformed by the renewing of our minds. How will our minds be renewed? Because we would put putting God's thoughts, God's perspective in, instead of all the other interference that we receive from so many other places. He who looks into the perfect law of liberty, that perfect mirror that's exposing us. Some of us, we get angry. Some of us, we complain. Some of us, we just walk away. But there is an opportunity to hear it and to be transformed by God. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty and continues it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. We cannot afford not to be blessed in what we do. Our lack of obedience and our lack of a, sort of an aggressive coming to hear, uh, preaching, reading, etc. we're missing blessings. Because God said, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to answer your prayers. The people, not that are perfect, but the people who are taking me seriously, the people who want to please me, they make mistakes, they got to repent, but I, just, I got all the blood and all the uh, power in the world to forgive them and to cleanse them. Those people who are serious, those people I'm going to bless, and you can miss it. And you can miss it. Now, then there's a little gut check. He ends the chapter with a little gut check. Three different things in the gut check. The first thing is, you want to know how you're doing? These are not the only things. He actually, for the rest of the book, goes through a bunch of other things. But he gives us three quick things to kind of say, by the way, pay attention. Here's a thermometer. How are you doing? If anyone among you thinks he or she is religious, that you're doing well, okay, and does not bridle his tongue, that's to bring it under control. But deceives his own heart, meaning by not watching what we say, we are deceiving our heart. Have you ever known people that sort of give themselves an A, but but probably they deserve a C or a D? That's how it is with me and my singing, apparently. When I hear me sing, I think I should be on the praise team. When Annie hears me sing, she turns off my mic. We can deceive ourselves. It sounds heavenly to me. If anyone young you he thinks he's religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Now let's talk about some of the ways that we can speak improperly. Well, one of them is gossip. Someone said that, uh, and I read this, I can't remember who it was this week, but, but who it was that said it, but it was a good one. They said gossip is confessing other people's sins. I like to do that with Father Don. I, I, I'm going to have to behave a little bit. Uh, I like teasing of course he's. Doesn't do most of what I say. Of course, I'm only kidding him. But nonetheless, uh, we've we got to be careful. Gossip is saying things that are true that shouldn't be said. Do you know that some things that are true, especially because they're true, are too painful to be said and to be spoken of? People who walk with God, who really know God, not people who call themselves Christians. I don't care what people call themselves. The Bible tells what a Christian looks like. He's, James saying, look, that's useless. That's not real Christianity. People. Who know God, who are serious about God, they have learned and they are learning to bridle their tongue. They do not talk about everybody else's sins. Not because what they're saying isn't true. It may be true, but it should never be spoken of. All right, how do you know? If you're saying something about another person that's true, but it would cause people to look less or think less of them instead of more of them, it should never be spoken. That's, that's the test of whether it's gossip or not. Meaning, if, if there's nothing good, positive going to come out, then. then, then uh, no matter how charitable the listener is, it's gossip and it shouldn't be said. The second thing that can be is slander. I mean, there's all kinds of speech, but slander is exaggerating or underspeaking of things that's also going to make... So, so gossip is speaking the truth in a, that shouldn't be spoken. Slander is taking the truth, twisting it, lying, uh, either by exaggerating it to be more or to underspeak what's something that puts the, the perspective in balance. He says, those are things, of course, that we're not supposed to gossip and slander. Uh, also, there's bit- he goes into bitterness, reviling, competition, other things later in the book of James, uh, profanity, uh, coarse talk. I mean, there's all kinds of things Ephesians 5 talks about. Uh, it's really, really important uh, that we are careful because he says, people that are serious of God over here, this is the fruit it looks like over here. Now, I can look and say, oh, man, there's some things I say that aren't good. What do I do? Repent. There's the answer, like sun's glazing. Jesus, hell, the devil, you got, you know, add a few more here. A few more simple answers. In almost every instant, we find ourselves falling short of what God has. We repent. If we'll repent and commit ourselves to doing better, God will give us the grace to grow and change. Repent is not your enemy. Repentance is not there to shame you. Repentance is our friend because it allows us, because God's kindness leads us to repentance. It is the way home into God's arms of grace and forgiveness. You can, if you think of repentance as a negative instead of, oh, dear Lord, forgive me, and I'm so glad you love me. I used to cringe. I used to never want to repent. Like, like if I didn't repent, maybe God wouldn't know how awful and bad I am. God already knows. The way I'm going to change is by telling the truth, all right, and allowing his Holy Spirit to forgive me, to cleanse me, and to make me new. All right, you think you're religious? I think I'm religious. Don't bite out a tongue. We deceive our own hearts, and, and this one's religion is useless. 27. You want to know what pure and undefiled religion looks like? Before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. So, the first one. In, in the days of James, the brother of Jesus, of course, he was the bishop of the, and the apostle of the Jerusalem church. He spoke in uh, the Jerusalem council in Acts 15. The widow and the orphan were the most vulnerable people in that society. Now, we could, it'd be hard to imagine, in any society, widows and orphans not being vulnerable. But, but they were particularly vulnerable back there because you didn't have uh, you know, health insurance or Medicaid or you know, and none of the governmental kind of things that we had today that at least helped some. But the point is, James says, if you really know God, you are looking to be engaged in people who are helpless or have less capacity. Who are those people in our society and community with the least... Uh, things that make them the most vulnerable. Who's the most vulnerable? Well, I've heard Pastor Mike say it well. Certainly the most vulnerable in our community is the unborn. They're not the only ones, but they're the unborn. The only people in the world that care about the unborn are Christians. Okay? There's, we have a special obligation, and we are going to be persecuted. We've been persecuted. We're gonna, if we care, to care about the unborn, is going against the idol of convenience of this day. And if we stand up in that area, we are going to take it on the chin. We take it on the chin and we do the right things because it's right, not because people are going to clap or people are going to think we're nice. They are going to turn us into the evil people. But let me tell you something, they are the, most, the singly most vulnerable people are, are the unborn. We have a special obligation. But there are poor people, there are people who need help in all kinds of ways, and we are part of the solution. Now, there was an article in the paper yesterday, I sent the paper on Google or something, and it was saying that we actually, in hearing about so much need all over the world, that the fuses get blown, and we have like an overdose of compassion, and you just can't be compassionate about everybody, and we hear so much trouble that what happens is we just kind of go numb. And the idea of this thing was we have to, we have to stop worrying about everything and to figure out, by, as we pray, the article didn't say this, But it was saying, you just get overdosed, and it keeps us from doing anything. To know that there's so much problems everywhere, it ends up that we worry and feel bad about it, but it takes away the energy to do the one or two things we can do. So here's what we have to do as believers. We have to pray and say, Lord, we can't fix everybody, but who are the people in my neighbor? Who are the people as closest to home? The devil's job is to get you focused on the biggest global things the farthest away. Because that keeps you from doing things that you can do. We can make a difference down the street. We can make a difference in our neighborhood, in our city. And we have an obligation to ask God to show us who are the vulnerable people, who are the people that need our help that we can help. And then we have to, with clean conscience, say it's not that all these other things aren't amazing and terrible. We can pray for that. But if we're going to get anything done, we've got to focus on what God's called us to do. That means we've got to say no to some things, but just make sure that we're not so uh, overdosed with, with compassion, fatigue, that we're saying no to everything. All right? You know, when I get a guy who's uh, panhandling or a woman who's panhandling, I usually just say, no. No way. I'm not going to do it. I'm probably getting scammed. So, and then I realized, look, I got to ask the Lord. So I asked the Lord. And sometimes I feel like, I gave one guy 20 bucks one time. He about had a heart attack. But I felt like that's what the Lord told me to do. And I, have to, and I thought, better to be ripped off I don't care if your buys a six pack. I care about doing what I think God's telling me to do. I would rather get it wrong in doing than not do if it's the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and so I have to obey as best I can. I don't always get it right. But I have to be committed enough to do the things that God's calling me to do and be willing to say, I blew it on that one. And I've blown it a lot of times. And I, What do I do when I blow it? I repent. That's what you do when you blow it as well. So let's be careful about compassion fatigue because one of the marks of true believers is that they are focusing on doing the part they can do. Do not worry about all the things you can't do. Pray. Give it to God. Lord, it's too much to think about. The people starving over here, the, the wars over here. This, I, it's too mu- it is too much. No heart or soul could carry that. So Lord, I give that back to you. But now Lord, show me those things that you would entrust into my care. You know, in the old days, people were sick. People made them a cake or a pie, or made them. I mean, think of all the ways, things we can do. Very simple things that are within our grasp and reach. James says the people who really know God; they're doing those kind of things. Let's be careful. We've been hijacked a bit. In the old days, they didn't have the internet and all the TV to know just the enormity of problems around us. All right. So let's be careful because the devil's sabotaging true religion in us. Finally, he says, and to keep oneself unspotted on the world. Now, this one, uh, you know, I, I, the best, it's a terrible example, is the best example I can give you. I enjoyed the show The Sopranos. I love Godfather 1, Godfather 2, Godfather 3. But I can't watch it. I can't watch it for no Reasons. One of the reasons is because when I watch the show, I'm rooting for them to kill the guy. Yeah, he's going to squeal, you better kill him. That, you know, that's not what we want to be doing. Meaning, we can't stay, I'm sorry, you probably do not want to have your priest tell you that you're rooting with the mafia guy, you know, yeah, you better get him, cut him up good, you know, take him far away when you bury him, I'm sorry, I'm a hillbilly, there's something in me about that, the mafia stuff, so it defiles us, there are things that defile us, they're not good for our soul, and he's saying that people who really know, they're careful with their soul, they know how hard, we got enough temptations. I got a hard time turning down four chili cheese dogs that I should have known better. I don't need any bad TV shows. So, so we just have to understand, to be unspotted is a delivery. It takes energy to make a decision what to avoid, how to keep clean in our hearts and our minds and our soul. And if you're not anticipating a decision of filtering things out of your mind and your heart, okay, it's going to be too late. You have to be proactive if you want to be unspotted on the world. All right? God, God really loves us. He really wants to help us. He, he's telling us this morning in the book of James that one of the primary means that you will see growth and change in your life is as you approach God's word, word with earnestness, with the intention to hear it seriously and then to obey it. Knowing we cannot do all things the Bible says by ourselves. I love this thing that Archbishop Sean said. And I can't remember if it was the Sunday or the one of the Thursdays he spoke. But he said he, he, he gets tired of hearing people talk about how Christianity is so hard. He said Christianity isn't hard, it's impossible. Yes, the Bible is telling us things we cannot do apart from the Holy Spirit. So when I re- read the Bible and it tells me, you know, do this, and I repent for the part I don't do, and I say, okay, this is what you want us to do, I will do my best knowing that I'm also asking for the Holy Spirit to help me, to grow into it. And then it's amazing. It's amazing how much growth. I mean, it's also, there's a lot more to go, but it's amazing how much we can change. But the way you approach the Bible, the way you approach sermons, the way you pro- approach teaching, it's going to make all the difference. All right. God wants to bless you and to help you. God wants for you to pray and to hear your prayers and to answer them and to bless you. That's job one. But it, that happens for people who stay intimately connected with Jesus. You cannot stay intimately connected with Jesus without knowing his word and engaging in it in a daily fashion with the intention both to consider and to take it seriously and to apply it in your life. All right? You guys look really thrilled today. Well, you like the chili cheese dog thing. I was hoping you'd like the James part better. Now listen, I want, I want you to stand up. This is Rogation. Lord, convict us. Conviction is a grace. When the Holy Spirit is moving, there's a grace. It's easy to be dead and hardened in our hearts and our minds to things. Lord, would you pour out your Spirit because you love us so much? Lord, we love this family that we get to live life together with and serve you and worship, Lord, together. And Lord, I pray this morning that you would help me and each one here, Lord, that you would speak to us. Lord, your kindness leads us to repentance. Lord, you're not going to shame us. You you don't want to punish us. You were punished on the cross, in our place and for us. So would you pour out your Holy Spirit this morning that we could turn to you, Lord? Lord, I pray that you would give us the grace to realize the beauty and the wonder of being able to turn to you and to seek you knowing that, That as we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Lord, I pray that you would really get within us deeply, Lord. We've been looking for a shift and a deepening in our family life here together at St. Andrews. And one of those things is, Lord, we are growing in the Word together. Lord, I pray that you would help our minds to understand the importance of the daily engagement with your voice through your Word by your Spirit. Oh, Lord Jesus, we need your spirit. Help us to do our part, which is to to consider it and to keep it in front of our mind and approach it with an earnestness, Lord. A commitment, Lord, to obey it, knowing that we need to seek your spirit to do so. But, Lord, you want to give us it. So, So, Lord, we pray. Let us be people of the book here, Lord. People of the Bible, people in submission to your word and your ways. We ask these things in the most precious the most wonderful name, the name of Jesus, the name above every other name. Lord, fill us, bless us this day. In Jesus' name, amen.